Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. So I brought my little crown. Um, so uh, I, I think I, I put it on for a moment. Um, because I want to ask you a very important question today. And actually God's asking you this question. Um, and that is, as a crown represents something of authority and power, it is the question, who is in control of my life? Is it me wearing the crown? Or is it an understanding of God having the authority over my life. And today, you in some way will be confronted with the reality of who wears the crown. But I want to start with, with a question. And that is a very simple question. And if you have children, you will understand the significance of this question. And that is, who taught you to say please and thank you? Maybe you can quickly tell the person next to you. Who was it? Uh, was it the mom? Was it the grandmother? Maybe you can quickly just uh, give an, a facial expression of the consequences if you did not use these two words. In my case, it was my mom. And uh, I must be honest in saying that uh, I, I did not really appreciate it until I had my own children. And our prayers goes out to all the parents with two-year-olds uh, because getting a two-year-old to use those two very, very simple words, it's not easy because it doesn't come naturally. They, they don't come out of the womb saying thank you. It's like crazy. Uh, they were not programmed for that. So someone actually needs to love you enough to teach you to say it. And in most of us case, Someone did love us enough. And isn't that amazing? Because if you work with young people and you work with someone that, that did not acquire that skill of saying thank you and please, it's kind of a, it's a big thing. It's a, it's a big character flaw in the life of a person. So we each have one, have a person that actually loved us enough to teach us a very small life principle. I suppose a bigger question would be, who taught you what's God's heart when it comes to finances? What's on the heart of God? Because in my experience, many people did not necessarily have the privilege of sharing, of having someone to share that principles with them and for them to grow up in an understanding of living out that principle. And when we talk about money, we talk, we talk, about, we talk about a place of power. We talk about a place of authority. When I take my wallet and I take out a hundred rand note, I am exercising authority. I can do with that money as I please. And, and what, what God what God's has on his heart when it comes to money, Jesus shared that with his disciples because he loved them enough. You see, it's a, it's a thing of love. Um, and when, when we talk in this series, Money Talks, about these principles, it is because in the life of a disciple, we need to understand that God loves us enough that he will share truth with us so that we will live in freedom and not in bondage. And um, 
you know, for, for me as a, as a young boy, uh, it was a very interesting uh, experience because I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. Uh, my dad had a drinking problem. He was a businessman um, selling cars. So I know some of you will understand that. It's, <laughs> it's a very dodgy business. And uh, I grew up in this family, totally dysfunctional, not understanding anything of God and his word. And, and then suddenly my dad got saved. And I remember as a young teenage boy, this was my experience. This was truth in its purest form. When my dad got saved, the day I heard about this thing, his meeting God, I heard the prayer, I was there, I, I saw him crying, but I wasn't convinced. I was very cynical about it because I've seen many big things come and go and nothing real. But the day I heard my father saying, that he gave a percentage of his money to the church. I literally looked at him and thought, God changed you. Because this is not natural. This is not normal. This is not what I'd expect of you. And I had the privilege of seeing this man through many decades following this principle. And in my own life, investing in me an understanding of how God thinks about money and my heart. Because please do understand that what we're talking about today has nothing to do with money, but everything to do with the condition of my heart. It's all about my heart. You see, our, our series is called Money Talks, Talks. And the reality is that money do talk. It's not quiet. Because if we ask money, what would you say about our lives? They're going to blabber out everything. So if you want to understand something of what the picture of your life looks like, just open your bank account. Open your bank statement. It will say everything. It will say what is important. It will, even, it will even give away those small little secrets <laughs> that we have. So in, on my bank statement, let's, let, let's confess. I love confessing publicly. There will be like little lines that says, McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, I can't hide it. APSA does not kind of honor me enough <laughs> not to put it. They, they, don't, they don't put there like um, a meal to live or, or to make sure that you do live. They put on McDonald's. It's terrible. It shows, it shows your life. It's terrible to understand that if someone did not know you at all and they took your bank statement, they will see who I am. So it, it speaks. My possessions speak. The car I drive, the house I live in, the clothes I wear. It all shouts out big realities in terms of my heart, which makes it scary. So Jesus loves his disciples enough to go sit down with them many occasions and teach them the heart of God. One of these occasions in Luke chapter 16. 
We heard the story last week, as Lorraine shared with you, Jesus taking his disciples, sitting them down, and telling them this crazy, bizarre story of this dishonest manager. Uh, there's an owner, there's a manager, the manager messes up, he gets fired. When he hears the news of being fired, he calls in all the clients, very dishonest, and gives them all discount, illegally, and saying, I want your favor. And we expect in reading this story, there will be this moment, you know, you read a verse in the Bible and you see it's all dishonest and you expect the next verse is going to be that big verse about hell and damnation. This is God saying, it is wrong, you shouldn't do, you're going to go to hell if you're dishonest like that. And then Jesus tells the story and he says, and the owner commended this dishonest man. And please do understand the story. It's not celebrating being dishonest. But we suddenly discover in the story this word, the word shrewdness. Working with money in a clever way. And Jesus gets our attention in the story and he, and he uses this, the dishonesty of this manager to bring home this principle. And that is that money is not a purpose in itself. It's only a means to a purpose. And if we do not understand it, that money needs to work in a specific way. It's given to us for something very specific. And then Jesus makes this, he makes this crazy statement in saying, as this money manager misuses this money, but uses the opportunity to make friends for himself, so you go and apply money to make friends for eternity. And suddenly, Jesus messes up my whole thought about money. Because I thought like money was this evil thingy on earth. And suddenly Jesus says, this money can actually play a role in eternity and change the lives of people if I understand how it is supposed to work. I remember the first time reading this story and the revelation I received in my own heart, understanding this very simple basic truth. That for every rand I receive, it is not only meant for the upkeep of my life, but it is intended for the purposes of God as well. And I suppose for many people that is kind of a threatening thought. Understanding that, that the money I receive is not just for me. It's not just for what I need and for, for what I desire, but there's something of an eternal purpose in the money that we receive. And Jesus uses this story to illustrate to us that money is nothing else but a tool. So I don't get excited about tools just out of who I am. So one of the first numbers in my phone will always be those of a handyman because my wife has no trust in my capacity to use a drill, for instance. I do have a beautiful drill, but it's never used. And I don't walk around with a drill bragging with a beautiful drill. I mean, not even real handymen does that. They don't walk around showing everybody, you know, this beautiful display in their, in their sitting room. You know, this is, this is my newest drill. It's only a tool. And it's as if Jesus immediately puts money in that category. Listen, you guys, you're getting so excited about money. Let's, let me explain to you what it's really. It's a tool. And it has two purposes. The one is God providing for the upkeep of your life. 
And the other one, it is God providing for his kingdom. So Paul puts it like this. In, uh, in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, and please read it with me. So he says, this is God's, he's, he's now doing an offering in church, so uh, he uses this words, and he says, he who supplies, it is God who supplies. So just to say it, there's only one source of money, and that is God. It's not my job, it's not my employer, it's not my husband, it's not my wife, it's not your parents, it's God. He supplies. And listen to what he says, and he supplies seed. Please say seed out loud. Seed. That's important. To the sower. And bread. Please say bread. Bread for food. And he will supply um, and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What Paul does is he uses a, a farming principle saying that a farmer understands the fact that he, when, when, he, when he gets off his harvest of the land and he, and he sees that, that, that harvest, he immediately understands that a certain portion of this is bread. It will be refined and used as bread. But then there's a portion of this that is seed. And any farmer will immediately say, if you want big trouble get confused between what is bread and what is seed. Because if you eat up your seed, you're going to run out of bread. It's a very simple principle. But the, the principle is also that the seed is sent back to where the seed comes from. So I don't take my seed and plant it in the kitchen zinc and hope that it will bring a harvest. I, I send it back to the source. So I give it back to the source. And it's Paul saying, listen, you guys, when you receive a rand in your hand, a portion of that rand is seed. It's not bread. And take the seed and give it back to the place where it comes from. So don't take your seed and give it to my Oma and the Owetais. <laughs> Oops, now it's very quiet. Because that's not where it comes from. It is what is important to God. It goes to His purpose. And Paul, suddenly, he, he, he stretches us in discovering a principle that I need to decide what percentage am I going to live off. Because let me say this, in our current world in which we live, if you do not make the decision on what percentage you will live off, you will live off 110% of your, of your income. That's a reality. We, we need to make that decision. And the Bible gives this, 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 this principle in saying, let's start by saying 10% is seed. That'll be a safe 
principle. That doesn't mean you, you, you need to stick to 10%. It can be more. But it's a good principle. And if I don't make the decision, if I do not see money as the tool and myself as the traffic cop, you know, every morning I, I drive and sometimes in Bloom there's a traffic cop that directs the, the traffic. They're not always there. I suppose they've got a lot of other stuff to do. So if they're there, we're very glad that they're there. And then that, that guy, his job is just to say, go there and now go there. Guys, this challenges me in my thought about money. Because if I misunderstand the principle of money, I will not be a traffic cop of my income. I will be the final destination of everything I receive. And that is the problem. So that's why Paul says that, that this is also, um, and the Bible teaches us that this is also a test. It's a big test. The moment we talk about money, every rand holds something of a test. Jesus in this story in Luke 16, uh, it, it challenges me so when he says the following, verse 10, he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. So that's a very clear principle. And then he says, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So we understand that. But do you realize what Jesus is saying here? What is the opposite of being dishonest? I would say, is it being honest? Because Jesus says, he uses opposites here. He says the opposite of being dishonest is being faithful. That really trips my brain. You see, I can so easily as a Christian understand that I am not going to move into an arena of dishonesty. But the, the main goal is not just being honest. Of course that's important, but that's the middle ground. The real victory lies in being faithful, understanding that this is God's. And therefore, this, this whole story ends in this verse where Jesus literally confronts us with this reality. And now suddenly he takes off the gloves and he reveals the heart that lies behind money. And he says, no servant can serve two masters. This is the heart of the story. This was not about a dishonest manager. This was not just about money. This was about the authority of money. And he says, for either he, he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And suddenly Jesus puts God and money as competitors, not of the ruling of the universe. God is in control there. We don't have to worry. Money is not going to take over. But when it comes to my heart, oh boy, it's a different story. There's a competitor. There's someone contending control of my heart when it comes to money. And it's as if Jesus says, if you listen closely to what money says, it will be this. You guys, 
money is saying, I'm not a good master. I'm not a good master. Listen to the words that Jesus uses. The one is the word love. The other one is the word hate. The one is the word devotion. The other one is the word despise. There's something that lies in the authority of this thing that we call money that when he becomes the master will be damaging and consuming of our lives. That's why Jesus is teaching this principle. So most probably Jesus would say, just as money would say, if I'm not a good master, how will you control me? And this is where the challenge lies. Because I cannot control it by having it. I can only control it by channeling it. If I have it, if I use it for my own purpose, I might think I'm controlling my money. Jesus says that's not the reality. Now your money is controlling you. The only way that there's freedom in having is in giving. So that would mean that self-control, in other words, not the control of my money, self-control is very important. And most probably money would say, if you or your self-control will determine who gets control. So I'm, this, I'm the, the, the traffic cop in the middle, and my self-control will determine who gets control over my life. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. And this is a beautiful truth in Christianity. The, the fact that when we get saved, we are empowered by the Spirit to literally in our every step help us be in sync with Jesus. That's amazing. That's a beautiful truth about Christianity. You don't get saved and then you have to do Christianity all on your own. Like figure it out and make it work and by your own effort. It is by the Spirit that we walk in. In every decision, the Spirit literally nudges us into the direction of God's freedom. But then the same scripture that says that walk in the Spirit says just a few verses later in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is... Self-control. Yes. So this spirit will constantly remind me about the fact that I need to exercise control in redirecting money away from myself. Otherwise, I will end up being mastered by the power and the authority that lies in money. How amazing is it that God equips us? But it confronts us in terms of who then is the master of my life. Because most probably all of us would say, if someone asks us, who's in control of your life? Most of us would say, firstly, well, I am. But that's kind of the wrong answer. It should have been, God is. Because we are walking in the Spirit. It is God nudging us. It is God pulling us in this direction. You see, we have a problem as human beings, and we call it appetites. Appetites is things we desire. 
It is things we want. I have two boys in my house. They wake up in the morning and you can start counting one, two, three, four. By the time you reach 15, someone would have opened a fridge and they would have started eating because they have appetites. But we all have appetites. And this is what Jesus is saying. When we talk about self-control, we are talking about mastering or allowing God to master our appetites. Because our appetites will mislead us. They will take us down a pathway. And then we will end up in trouble. Because the moment the appetite becomes too strong, it masters you. It's a reality of life in terms of any appetite. And what Jesus is saying, listen guys, you cannot be mastered by your appetites because you already have a master. The moment you put your faith in Christ, Jesus became the Lord of your life. He is now the master. Do not allow your appetites to take you down this pathway and take control over your life. The appetite of owning and buying and having security and having status is the appetites that so easily confront us and confuse us. So we have this, we have a, a boy who did matric last year. And uh, this year he started an internship at a company in Bloemfontein. And uh, he's studying through them, but he's also now receiving for the first time some money. So we had a very interesting moment about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when he had his first paycheck. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, the month before that, in December, he still had like uh, pocket money. So that was 200 rand a month, what we gave him. And then my wife and myself, we drove into the place where we pick him up, his place of work, and he was standing there with a nice little envelope, very nicely displayed, very proud. This is the first time that he's going to earn money. So we pick him up, and he's very excited. And I ask him, how much did you, did you earn? And he was very excited, and I could just see the eyes, you know, that love. This is beautiful. I mean, I am the richest man on earth right now. So later the evening, I called him in and said, listen, maybe we, we ought to just have a bit of a budget discussion, you know, like we've always had. And he said, yes, that's great, because he's already pulled, like drawn up a budget. And I thought, this is going to be very interesting to see. So I said, bring it. Let's talk about it. And I was so impressed because the first one was his tithe. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. God, I cannot take any honor for this. <laughs> this can only be you. And then we talked through it, and there was an a ample uh, uh, amount set aside for uh, personal needs, like Burger King and McDonald's, and he's my son, let's face it. And Van der Boens. <laughs> and uh, and I, I asked him, I said, can we talk about, about this amount that says tithe? And I could see, like, uh, this is now a, a challenging thing. And I said, is this amount challenging for you? And he said, 
Dad, you don't understand. <laughs> this is like really, really challenging. I put it up there, but as I was putting it up there, I felt I'm lying to myself. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And I said, why? And he said, you know, it was easy when I received 200 rand a month, 20 rand, giving 20 rand to God is like very easy because this is reality. You can't really do anything with 20 rand. You can't even go to Fongerboens. You can only like buy a small McDonald's burger that's not going to satisfy. So it's easy giving it. But now it's 400 rand. It's double my pocket money that I'm going to give away. I can buy a t-shirt. I can buy pants. I can buy those sneakers I love. And I said, can we talk about appetites? Because there's an appetite that's fighting against the principle of freedom in your life. And that appetite is a contender for your heart. It's a contender for, he's, he's fighting for control over your life. If you can have the victory now, you will have the victory forever. But if you suffer defeat, it's only the beginning of a journey of defeat. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying these appetites are so strong, they compete for the ownership of my life. Therefore, Jesus says there's a way out. What is this way out? And he, 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 he says this as probably one of the biggest principles of the kingdom. When he says in Matthew 6 verse 33, he says the following. He says, but first, what do we do first? He says, seek the kingdom of God. And what happens then? And all these other things we want, all the desires, all the needs, everything will be added on to you. But where does it start? It starts with first. And it starts with seek. And the realization we need to have is the fact that we are already seeking. We are seeking to satisfy all the desires that we have. And Jesus says the way out of this thing is seeking something else. It's seeking something else. It is seeking what is important to God. Because if this is important to God, then I need to, and I love the way Andy Stanley puts it, he says, flip the script. I need to turn this thing upside down. I need to flip the script. Because somewhere along the line, someone taught us the way we handle money is like this. We say, firstly, we need to live. Then, good principle, we need to save. And then, if something is left, we can give. What does is, what is flipping the script looks, look like? It is saying that the purpose of God in terms of having control in our lives, the Lordship of Christ, brings us to the place where we start with first give. Then, save and then live. This is what God has always been saying. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you, it was just repeating what Malachi said 
in Malachi 3 verse 10, when he said, bring your full tithe to the temple so that there will be enough in my temple because that was important to God then. The temple was there. The temple was important. We don't have a temple now. We have kingdom. We have church. And he said, and test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven over your life. Isn't that exactly the same as put the kingdom first and all the other things will be added unto you? This is not a new principle. This is not an Old Testament law that is, that is bounding us. This is not something that's burdening our lives, feeling that, oh my word, I just have to give. This is a principle of freedom, understanding that the moment that I proclaim the lordship of Christ in my finances, I will see his lordship in my finances. I will see it. I will live in the freedom of not worrying because he's already lord there. I don't have to worry about it because it is his. When that, that amount of, and we've been living according to this principle for many years because I saw the example and I saw the, the, the power of it in the life of my dad. And he actually loved me enough to tell me this. But God loves us enough to tell us this in the Bible saying, listen, you guys, it begins with first. It begins with seek. Where am I directing God's provision in my life? If you are sitting here, and I please understand when I say this, I'm saying this out of the love and the conviction of God's love for you. But if you are hearing what I'm saying today and you feel burdened by this, if you feel burdened by the fact that God says your freedom lies in giving to him, I want to I warn you that the contender already has a grip on your heart. That's just a reality. Someone is already fighting against the truth of God. Whether it be worry, I will not have enough. Whether it will... It is discomfort. I will not have everything I wanted. Whether it is a lack of security. But will I be okay if I do it? There's a contender and is fighting against the truth of God. Every month in our household, there's a moment of victory. And that is that moment when we make in action the proclamation of the Lordship of Christ. And we've been living according to that principle. And we've seen God do miracles. Because that's what he promises. If he's Lord, he's Lord. He's Lord in the tough times. He's Lord in his provision. He's Lord in his grace. But I have the choice to say... I am Lord. And the reality of what Jesus is saying is if I do this, I'm lying to myself. I am not the Lord. I've already given authority to someone that is stronger than me.
This is not a truth that is a burden. This is not the truth that is an obligation. This is a truth that is freedom. I want to challenge you today to make it very personal as, as Jaco and the guys come forward. I, I want to I create an awkward silence in church. We don't always like silences. But I really want to create an awkward silence. I'm going to shut up within a few seconds from now on. And I just want you to be honest in one moment in identifying who's fighting against the truth of God in your life. Is it selfishness? Is it comfort? Is it trust? Is it safety? What, what is it? What is fighting against this truth that is standing in your way of just living the truth? I want to challenge you to today ask God, God, give me the grace to make a start somewhere. Listen, maybe you can't start with a full tithe. This is not a law. This is a principle of freedom. I want to challenge you. Start somewhere. Don't just postpone it. Don't just postpone it. Trust God in this. And I want to promise you, if you start putting aside seed, there will be more bread. There will be. God is alive over his word. He's alive over his word. He will not turn around and say, I did not say it. He will make his word come true. What is contending the truth of God? What's fighting against it? I'm going to stay quiet now. Will you connect with God? Yaku's just going to minister to us, and at a stage he's going to ask us to stand and, and worship with him. But in this few moments, just this prayer, Lord, what is it? Help me. Help me to get the victory and the freedom that you were talking about in your word. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.